Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, let's, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 124. And on this last Sunday of 2020, praise the Lord. Let's consider this short psalm that I think will give us a, a picture into how we should approach the end of this year and the beginning of this new year. Let me read Psalm 124. It's just eight verses, and if you're the type of person that likes outlines and takes notes, I just have sort of two words to frame our outline as we consider this passage. Consider and commit. Consider and commit. I think this psalm helps us to consider and to commit. So let me read Psalm 124. It's a short psalm ascribed to David, the king of Israel. Listen to these beautiful words. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Let me pray one more time and ask the Lord to help us as we think about this passage. Lord, what a privilege to gather again on this last Sunday of, of uh, a, a remarkable and unusual and strange year. Lord, we rest in your kind providence that all the things that have come before us every Thing that has happened in our entire lives and throughout this year and everything that is happening now and everything that will happen to us in the future is arranged in some way under the care of your sovereign and good hand. And you and your kindness have given us your word. You've caused people through the centuries, your servants, to write this word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here we are now in in this moment, on December 27th, 2020, reading these ancient words inspired by your Spirit, completely true, without error, with all authority, sufficient for all that we need in life and godliness. So Lord, may we not miss this moment. May we not brush through this. May we not just out of tradition or rote or habit just get through this. But may you open our eyes to the beauty of what this psalm wants to say to us, may you cause us to consider and to commit our ways to you, and may we leave this place this morning, whether we are believers or whether we are not, Lord, would you cause all of us to say that our help is in the name of the Lord. For believers, I pray that it would strengthen us in that, and for those that have walked in this room this morning, as we have already prayed, who are not yet trusting in Christ, Lord, let them see their need, back them into the corner Make them helpless so that they would know that their only hope is what Christ, your son, has done for them on the cross. And would you save them this morning? Lord, be glorified. 
and encourage your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this text is a wonderful text to read at the end of a year because it reminds us, it exhorts us to consider what we have been through. First, this is a psalm of what's called ascent. And that means that that Psalms 120 through I think Psalm 134 are these portions of the psalm that was generally sung by the Jewish people as they were going to Jerusalem, which was this city on a hill for worship. And, and they would take these psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, as kind of like a hymn book to sing as they were approaching Jerusalem to worship God. And the context of, of Psalm 124 is pretty clear. It speaks of the, the physical rescue of Israel from some physical enemy. Now, I think probably what's going on here is that this is David, King David, who this psalm is ascribed to, is likely writing about his rescue or Israel's rescue from the hand of the Philistines. That's what uh, verses one through four seem to, to clue us into, although it doesn't specifically mention it. He, David, let me read verses one through four again. He's saying, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel now say, if the Lord had not been on our side, If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Some people think that maybe he was talking about this battle with the Philistines when David slayed the giant Goliath. Whether we're not sure of that, I think probably it's a little ambiguous because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord is wanting this psalm to have broad application. And so there's just this time when God's people, whether it's specifically the Philistines or just any time in the Old Testament when God's people were being harassed and then rescued from their enemies, there's this sense that Israel was in physical danger by some enemy. And what did God do? He rescued them by his hand. Look at verses four and five. There's this physical enemy, but then he gives us this picture of the flood. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. You can think of obviously the flood in Genesis chapter 6, or you can think of the parting of the Red Sea or the parting of the Jordan River. Verse 5, then over us would have gone the raging waters. But God saves his people from the flood waters, not only of the enemy, but of his wrath. And then look at verses 6 and 7. There's this, these fowlers, these, these people that are snaring birds, this picture of someone hunting Israel who is the bird. And he says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And the obvious implication there is it's not the bird that broke itself out of the snare. It's somebody from outside has has freed them, and obviously it is the Lord. Now, in order to apply this text to our situation today, we need to, I think, apply what I think is generally a good principle when you're reading the Old Testament. It's a kind of picture of the Christian life. Now, clearly, I want to say emphatically that the Old Testament is real history. It's historical facts and narrative of God's dealing with mankind, creation, and then creating a people, Israel. It is a real historical account, and we should read it as that first and foremost. 
but then we should also draw from it a kind of picture of the Christian life. The story of Israel is a kind of story of each individual Christian that God would make us and he would call us to himself and we would rebel against him and we would, we would run off after false gods and God in his steadfast mercy would save us despite ourselves. That's the story of Israel and that's the story of every Christian. So the physical reality of Israel's rescue here points to the spiritual reality of the rescue of every believer in this room. So, does this psalm apply to us if we have faced physical hardship in the past year that the Lord has seemingly not rescued us from? And the answer to that is yes. This is not a promise that the Lord will rescue us from every earthly physical enemy but it is a kind of physical picture in the Old Testament that points to the spiritual reality of God's rescue from our eternal enemies, death, hell, and the grave. And this is a clear picture of the gospel. How does God do this? Consider consider what this physical picture of Psalm 124 points us to in the gospel. Who, who is our great enemy? Our great enemy, certainly the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And God, if you are trusting in Jesus, God has rescued you from that. And he's rescued you from the flood, verses 4 and 5. It says the flood would have swept over us. The torrent would have gone over us. Over us would have gone the raging waters. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, floodwaters are a picture of God's wrath, obviously in the, the, the flood in Genesis 6. And, and like I've alluded to already, the, the Red Sea, the, the water is a picture of God's judgment. In fact, that's what the New Testament sort of ties in in our baptism, that when we are baptized, it's a kind of picture of going underneath the floodwaters of God's judgment and wrath. And who do we go in those waters with? Christ, who has borne the floodwaters of God's wrath for us, he took the flood, he took the torrent, he took the raging waters for us on the cross. And when we are baptized, we are proclaiming that we're in Christ and we went down with him into the floodwaters of God's wrath and we came up victorious in Christ and he has saved us. He has drunk God's wrath for us. He has extinguished it. He has removed it from the west, east is from the west. He has defeated sin and death and satisfied God's wrath for us. And that's what this picture is here. That Jesus has done that for his people. So consider as we think about this past year, just think about just how this and really all of the Bible points us to what God has done for us in Christ. And all of the, I think one of the, the great challenges of our age spiritually is that we are more plugged in and more distracted probably than any other generation in the history of mankind. And all of that can certainly be a good thing. I mean, we're aware of what's going on. We can pick up a, a, a phone and we can email Pastor Sidor in, in another country. And we can, I had a conversation this week with uh, Emmanuel 
Gaikwad, a dear friend of ours from India, I actually spoke to him on the phone. And, and it, was, it, was, it was free. And I remember like back in college, you used to have these calling card things. Remember the 1-800 number calling cards where you'd have to go to, a, I, there was a, 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 it's called a payphone. And for those of you that are under the age of 30, <laughs> it was actually like a physical thing. And it was attached to the wall. <laughs> and there was this receiver and it had like a wire to it. And you actually had to stand next to it. And when I was in college in New York, I would dial a number that was a prepaid card, and then it would ring a phone in California. I could talk to my parents. Now, and, and by the way, that cost money. And now I can pick up a little plastic box, and I can call somebody in India, and stuff goes in the air, and it catches something, and then it drops down, and then and we talk. And we're distracted, and I can get on social media, and I can see what everybody's saying, and, and I don't know, Vladimir Putin or somebody's arranging everything that he wants me to see. I don't know, crazy stuff is going on, but we are distracted people. And what this causes us to do is it siphons us away from being tethered to the most important thing about all of us that if it would had not been for the Lord, the flood would have overtaken us. Come on, 2020 has been challenging, but it has been nowhere near as challenging be, be, in, in, compared to facing a holy God outside of Christ. And don't let this distract us. Don't let politics and pandemics and controversies about this, that, and the other distract you or make you self-justified over other Christians who have different opinions about you from this great truth that should humble us that our help is in the name of the Lord. And if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, we would stand no chance. I think one of the tools of the enemy is that he uses distraction to puff us up with pride because we see how dumb everybody else is around us on all these, these secondary things. And we think, oh, well, this knucklehead thinks that. That dummy voted for him. This person's got that opinion about that. All the while, we don't realize how unbelievably humbled we should be by the sovereign mercy of God. Consider Consider the gospel, dear ones. Consider the most important thing, which is the rescue that God has given us in Christ. So just a few application thoughts before we move on to commit. Or just think about your life. Consider, consider your life. Consider this past year. Have have has this past year served to make you more cynical and sarcastic or fearful or anxious or has it deepened your sense and your dependence on God that's a question i'm asking myself this week this is kind of a, a down week for a lot of us in between christmas and new years don't waste this week consider your life this text is saying to me consider this past year and here's the good news of the gospel 
is when we consider our past. This is what's so beautiful about grace. Is we, we inevitably we're all going to look on our on our on our year and we're going to think, oh gosh, I didn't I didn't do so well in that area. But here's the good news of the gospel: it's grace upon grace. We don't need to run into shame and condemnation. We can run into grace and say, Lord, thank you for giving me an awareness of that. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your kindness, Lord. Now, Lord, wash me whiter than snow and let me learn from this so that I might glorify you more in this year. The message of the gospel is so full of grace and hope. It need not send you into despair, but into grace. Psalm 103 says, forget not all his benefits. A a, a healthy habit towards the end of the year might be just journaling, just sitting down with your family or your spouse and just writing out, brainstorming the benefits of the Lord this year. Let's redeem the time, friends. Let's consider. Let's, Let's let it lead us as we consider I think considering is not the the ultimate end. We consider so that we might worship God. And that's what the psalmist does here. He says, blessed be the Lord. So so let your consideration of your failures, of your shortcomings, of the way that God has been faithful in all things to you in this past year, whatever it may be, let it lead you into thankfulness to God and for his means of grace. And when I think of God's means of grace, I primarily think of people. Um, I, I just think of people in this church that have served us so well in this past year. I think of my brother pastors. I think of the fellow elders. I think of the tech team. I think of people that have um, served us well by just the, mu- the, the musicians, the people that have gone above and beyond, the people, community group leaders that have been checking in on people. Uh, just, just, I'm just so thankful. Uh, people that have reached out to me and just tried to encourage me. That just All of that just... Oh, Lord, you've been gracious. And I want to take time to think about that and consider that and, and, and acknowledge that and bless the Lord. So let's consider the goodness of God. And then secondly and finally, let's, let's commit. Notice David's conclusion in verse 8. After he goes through this recounting, he's considering how good God has been. But it doesn't all stay in the past, he says in verse 8. This is his reasoning. This is his logic coming out of his considering. He then is reaffirming his commitment to this good and gracious God. He says, verse 8, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So, So think about this. The look back over... The history of God's saving grace in Israel enabled David to look forward and to reaffirm God's grace and sovereignty and goodness in his life. So likewise for us, this look back should enable us, is intended to enable us. God wants us to remember. In fact, the word remember is used so often in the Old Testament in particular, remember, remember God's goodness. This look back enables God's people to look forward. What was this all for? It was for God's grace being deepened in us. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 
2, or chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's this incredible uh, scene where Paul is, it's not a scene, but this, these incredible words by Paul where he is, he is giving us a kind of theology of suffering, a theology of trial. And he gives us a picture. He doesn't give us specifics on how God does this in every situation, obviously. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, is a, a verse that I think you should have in, in your quiver to go through as a verse that helps give us a kind of theology of trial, a theology of suffering, a theology of hardship. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For, listen to this, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, let me pause there and just say, I, I read that slowly. I think that's encouraging. This is the Apostle Paul who is in ministry, and he's experienced affliction that has caused him to have such despair that he despaired. He just, basically, I think he's saying, you know, we just wanted to die. And this is the same Apostle Paul who, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus came back down from heaven, knocked him off of a horse, blinded him for a couple days, spoke to him audibly, and sent him to be his apostle to the Gentiles. And through the hands of Paul, miracles happened in the book of Acts. And yet, even though somebody who is that intimate with the Lord, that gifted, that anointed, that sold out to Jesus, you would think that confident in who he is in Christ, can get to a place where in verse 8 he would say, you know what, life was so hard that I just kind of wanted to die. I... (laughs) I read verses like that, and I am strangely inspired by the honesty of the Bible. I mean, that's, 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 I, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. We can get there, can't we? We can all get there. And let's keep reading in verse 9. He says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. In other words, we thought, you know what? God's just done with us. We're going to die. But, listen to this, but, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So behind this affliction that has caused Paul to want to die and to assume that God has sentenced him to death, As he considers it, as he spends time lifting up his head and remembering the goodness of God, he over time realizes that God has sovereign and good purposes and is using the suffering and affliction to wean him from self-absorption and woo him to worship. There is so much spiritual gold in verse 9 that you could stay there for days. But that was, but that was, fill in the blank. 
Whatever your that is, stick it right in there. That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What did you go through? What's the worst thing you went through in this past year? What's the worst thing you've ever experienced in your life? Are you a Christian? Are you trusting in Christ? In some mysterious way that we will never understand this side of heaven, I guarantee you, according to what God's word says, that it was intended somehow graciously by a heavenly father who brought it into your life to wean you from this world and woo you to himself. Now that, if you put that in your quiver, you can fight with those arrows. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. So there's this commitment. He did it in the past. He will do it again. And that doesn't mean Paul ends up dying The apostles, many of them ended up dying deaths of martyrs. And so he's not saying that he's necessarily going to deliver us from some difficult circumstances, but he will deliver us to be with him forever. Nothing will snatch us from his hand. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And what's the purpose of all this? Verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. <laughs> Verse 11 is like tightly wound together Paul's logic where you have to read it slow and you say, you're like, what, what are you saying there, Paul? I think he's saying that God is sovereign. He brings difficulty in his good, gracious, fatherly hand into the lives of his children. He calls them into community so that even through prayer they would help each other overcome these things. And he uses that prayer that then is used by means of God to bring out this glory in our lives for God to be a kind of means of thankfulness by which the gospel would spread to other people. So so we're in this complex untraceable, beautiful mosaic of the life where we are put together, our lives are all broken, things are hard, we're in it together, we help each other out, and somehow God uses it all to bring glory to himself and thankfulness in the part of his people. Man, you can live, you can live in verses 8 through 10, 8 through 11. There's a whole lot of Christian life in just those four verses. So, friends, what, what is, I end with this question, what has 2020 done for you? What has it done for you? What has it done to you? And what has it made you into? What has it done to you? What has it done for you? And what has it made you into? Do not waste this year. Don't waste this year shaking your head at people who you disagree with about politics or pandemic procedures or government. Those are conversations we need to have and should have. But don't fall into the Pharisee trap that many of us fall into. We, we, we justify ourselves by our right opinions over other knuckleheads who don't see it the way we do. And when we do that, we miss, we miss this affliction it causes us to despair of ourselves, to humble us, to remember the gospel so that we can commit our lives and our future to continuing serving the Lord in humility. How will this past year 
affect your upcoming year? How will you respond to God's mercy? What will you change? What will you add? What will you subtract? How will you serve the Lord? Will you make a plan to take in more of His Word? Will you make a plan to tell more people about Jesus? Will you make a plan to make what you have, what has been chiseled away in you this past year, make you more God-glorifying in this upcoming year? That's the question that is being asked of us today in this text. And will we do it? Let me read finally from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 39 through 39. This will be our, our last text, and then I'll pray. I love this passage. It just puts steel in my spine every time I read it. And this is the author of Hebrews <clears throat> trying to encourage some Christians who were discouraged because of persecution that they were facing. And he's wanting them to remem- remember their brothers and sisters who endured even more difficulty than them. And he's wanting them to consider, in this case, the hardship of other believers and to commit their way to the Lord. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There's a lot lot in verse 34 there. That's, That's a mouthful. In other words, this world didn't have such a grip on you because your grip is so firmly a hold of the life to come. That's, there's, that's, there's, there's a, there's a lot of glory in verse 34. And here's his conclusion. Therefore, by the way, let me pause there. You know, when a preacher says something like that about just looking forward to heaven and eternity, it's easy to think, oh, kind of convicting. Oh, I got a bunch of stuff. And man, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, we, we, I'm, I'm such an idolater. Yesterday I was pulling into Lowe's, and this guy opened up next to me. I, I pulled in, and he was parked there, and he opened up his car door and, and just dinged up my truck. And who cares? It's a truck. It's a stupid truck. My first thought is, what in the, come on, man. And you know, he gets it, oh, man, I'm sorry to see you. I mean, we, we, are so, we are so prone to stuff, right? And so don't, what I'm, what I'm saying that is don't, don't, don't read this as somebody is, you know, uh, uh, arrived on these things. You little Christians, get better at this. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. We, we, we need to be reoriented towards heaven, don't we? Verse 35, therefore, here's the conclusion. Do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But, verse 39, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. (laughs) 
That'll make you a shadow box. We, we're not of those who shrink back. We, we do not cower. We don't retreat over a little bit of hardship. We press on. We have faith. And God uses all of these means to preserve our souls. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, let Crosspoint now say, let you now say, dear one, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. No, verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage for this year. Lord, we want to be careful. We thank you for this year. What a kindness to humble us. We needed it. We need more of it. Lord, as we look back over our lives, over the way we've handled it, our attitudes, sometimes good, sometimes terrible, forgive us, Lord. We repent of our sin. We repent of our lack of faith. We repent of our sarcasm, our, our negativity. We realize that that is evidence of our self-centeredness oftentimes. And Lord, we, we ask afresh for you to cause all of these things, to cause us to run deeper into your grace, to, to lean harder into your kindness and your mercy for us. Not to cause us to despair of ourselves, but to cause us to delight in your mercy for sinners like us. Lord, let us fall into the arms of grace. Let us rest afresh in the fact that you have redeemed your people through Jesus' work on the cross and therefore our help is in the name of the Lord. You have rescued us from death. And now Lord, let us look forward to this upcoming year knowing that you have put us in this time, in this place, in this moment for your grand purposes, and may we commit our ways to the Lord. May we not waste these days. May we not waste our lives. And may we not shrink back, but may we press on, and would you preserve our souls. Lord, encourage my brothers and sisters. Encourage us. And if there's some that are listening or in this room that are not trusting in Christ, Lord, let them know that they're greatest need is not some physical or financial or temporal rescue, but it is the rescue from their sin and the flood of your wrath that is on them because of their rebellion, and they need Christ, who alone can rescue them from their sin. Lord, do that, I pray, for any friends listening, and let your people worship you now as we sing this final song together as a church in this year for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.